Would you open your uh, phones or your Bibles um, to our passages for today? You've heard two of them already, Psalm 33, and I would add one more verse, verses 20 through 22. You've heard already from the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4. But I'd like you to um, join me in Romans chapter 8 for just a moment before we slide over to Acts and our passage, especially for today. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18. We're going to go together through the first part of um, verse 24. Hear the word of God, would you? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the Apostle Paul, who knew suffering, wrote, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Isn't that interesting? For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. That the creation itself would obtain the freedom of the glory, look at this, of the children of God. Creation is waiting for our glory, Paul says. Again in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, Paul says, we are saved. The very word of God. Mm. Thanks be to God. Now flip over, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. We're in that unique period of time, aren't we, where the resurrection has happened in all of its glory, but the fulfillment of all that was promised has not yet happened, right? We saw last week the disciples struggled in this in-between place where, where they know the promise, but they have not yet received it. Do you remember? They went back to fishing for fish. Last week in John chapter 21, because, because it was so hard to wait. It was so hard to wait. Over the next three or four weeks, we will be in Acts chapter 1 and 2, leading up to this tremendous gift of God in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But we're going to pick up the story today in Acts chapter 1, the, the prologue, as it were, to the book of the Acts, not just of the apostles, but really the acts of God through His Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, the first book being the book of the Gospel of Luke, written by uh, the same author now as is writing the book of Acts, he refers to a person, Theophilus. In Luke, at the beginning of Luke, he says, most excellent Theophilus, like like. That's a title for someone who had high position or authority, uh, usually within the Roman government, right? In the book of Luke, he addressed him as 
uh, as most excellent Theophilus. Here, he has dropped the most excellent. This is just completely Dave right here. But I, I wonder sometimes if, if Theophilus is not having a transformation. And now, all of a sudden, it's no longer important that we use worldly titles, right? Because Theophilus is actually fulfilling his name, right? Look carefully at that name for a moment. Do you recognize a couple of words in there? Do you see the word theos in that name? The Greek word for God, right? Theos. Do you see the word phileo in that name? Remember that from last week? Intense brotherly love, right? In the first book, O Lover of God, Luke writes. Now there was most likely a person called Theophilus. But remember the question that I asked you at the end of our time together last week? Do you love God? Do you remember that? And you you responded so strongly, yes. Then you are a Theophilus, right? You are a lover of God. This book was written not just to a man in that first century, but it's written to you as well. In the first book, O lover of God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles or sent ones whom he had chosen. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He appeared at least 10 times recorded for us in Scripture to his disciples. Verse 4, And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait, Jesus said. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. I suggest to you that John 14, 15, 16, 17 are all about the real Lord's Prayer. The prayer that the Lord prayed is about the promise of the Father. But Paul gives us that secret right here. He tells us that secret right here. For John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Lover of God, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, not many days from now. The very Word of God. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. I pray that it would find good soil in my heart, in our hearts right now. And God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts and intentions of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, how do you do um, yourself when you're called to wait? How do you do? I know. Oh, my goodness. I am so bad at this. Now, fess up. I've called you out before. I'm going to call you out again. How many of you, when you're in the grocery store, right, 
and you're coming up on the line, you make a mental calculation of which line is going to be shortest, right? And how many of you are destroyed when that lady in green who you were using to measure how fast you went through the line gets through before you did, right? She got through 15 seconds before you did. And, and, and you were defeated. I wish that that were the sum total of my sin. Let's not even talk about when we come to a red light. How many of you, I'm hoping that I'm not alone in this, you're looking five blocks ahead for that light. You're timing it, right? And somebody drives by you, oh, I'm, I'm giving a little too much of myself, and you're going, sucker, you're going to have to wait, right? And, 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 and you keep timing it just perfect, right? And you're going, yes, yes. And then someone pulls out from day school right in front of you, right? And, and, and makes you miss the light, right? I don't know what's the matter with me. For a guy who theoretically is going to live in eternity, right? I don't do so well with time. My only comfort, my only comfort is I think I'm not alone, right? Um, I know that from this Word of God. Waiting is hard, right? Waiting is hard. But more than that, waiting, waiting can also be discouraging. It can be discouraging as well, right? And, and, and here again, in, in the word discourage, the word, French word for heart, core, right? Courage is to have heart. Courage is to have heart. To be discouraged is to lose that heart. Have that heart taken away from you. I, I can't help but think that's what was going on last week in, in Galilee, right? Now, chronologically, it's not last week, but last week in our study of the disciples, right after the resurrection, following what Jesus said, going to Galilee, and everybody's there but Jesus, right? And, and they're having to wait and, and it's discouraging, and they're hungry, and they have needs. And we saw last week that, that they succumbed to that temptation to go back and do what they had done before, rather than to wait patiently for everything that God had intended for them. Now, waiting can be hard, and it can be discouraging. So I'd like to think deeply with you from God's Word today about those times when God calls you to wait. Because it's really visible in grocery lines and, and waiting for a stoplight, but many of you have been waiting for much deeper things, for much longer. I know one lady in particular that was waiting for this guy to pull the rock out of his pocket, right? That must have seemed like an eternity. But some of you have been, been praying for prodigal children, for people that you love to come back. And you know that God has heard your cry and the answer that you keep getting seems to be, hold on, wait. I'm not done yet, right? It's hard. It is hard. Some of you have been, have been asking in Jesus' name for physical healing and, and as of yet, God has not said yes, right? Or if he has, he said, yes, but not yet, right? So, so please forgive my playfulness this morning thinking about waiting, but I know it's a very deep and personal issue for many of you. That's why I, I'm just going to believe that God has something very good for us in his word today.
Why? Why should we wait, right? Why should we wait? I want to suggest to you that one very important reason is because you don't have yet everything you need to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Now, I'm speaking specifically now about this situation, right? Jesus has risen from the grave. If they had that song in their day, they would be singing the song, the same power that rose, caused Jesus to rise from the, the grave lives in us. They were ready to go yet. Right? They, they, they were celebrating God's provision. But God was putting the brakes on. He's saying, not yet, not yet. Why? Because they didn't have something very critical that they needed. To fulfill God's purpose. Let me just press pause for a second and, and, and say, let's summarize for a second. God's purpose is going to be expressed differently in every single one of us based on our uh, giftedness, based on the unique creation that he made us to be. But make no mistake, he has made known his purpose, right, for himself to seek and save the lost for his children, for his sons and daughters, right? To do what? To, to make disciples who make disciples. Do you remember in Matthew 28, he says, In whatever you do, make disciples of all people groups. Ethnos, people groups. Make disciples. We know for what purpose we were created. Let us make fully devoted followers of people who don't yet know Jesus, right? So, so why wait? Because we don't have yet everything we need to fulfill that. If God has said this is a season of waiting, it's because we're, one of the reasons might be we're not yet given what we need to fulfill that purpose. But let me just recognize God has purpose in the wait. He has purpose in the wait. Again, last week we saw in John 21 that waiting for Jesus in Galilee, the disciples returned to fishing for fish, right? What did that waiting do? The waiting revealed the thoughts and intentions of Peter's, if not all the disciples, heart, right? The waiting revealed something about Peter's heart. But praise God. The waiting also revealed the depth of Jesus' love. Right? Do you remember that? That love that met Peter exactly where he was. Right? That love that loved him so much that it refused to leave him there. It invited him to a deeper experience of who God was. That love that restored Peter to his calling. Remember three times. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. God had a purpose in Peter's waiting. But how about us now in this in-between time? How about the disciples who very figuratively as well as literally are in that in-between time where between the time when Jesus came the first time and when he has promised to come again? What purpose does God have in this 2,000 years that we have been waiting, right? Well, well Acts 1 says that, that we are waiting for, and it uses the definite article, the 
waiting for the promise of the Father, right? In other words, there are many promises and scriptures, and ah, oh, I just pray you're blessed as you reflect on them one by one. But it seems like Luke here is talking about one, one promise in particular, right? What is the promise that Luke is speaking of? Well, he tells us right here in this scripture, right? John baptized um, with, I'm reading the scripture as it is in the ESV, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, right? Now, I want to just remind you again, um, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, don't confuse the sign and the symbol with the reality, okay? Don't confuse the sign and the symbol. We saw that so clearly in uh, the sacrament, that holy moment where we share together in, in the, um, the, the juice and the bread, right, the signs of the, of the reality, but, but something that pointed to something much greater, right? Jesus' death on the cross, his blood, which cleanses us from all sins, the offering of his body on our behalf. Don't confuse those two things. Otherwise, you'll just become a ritualized religious person who counts how many times they had communion their whole life, right? Don't confuse. Don't confuse um, the sacrament of baptism, right? And it's so easy to do. And honestly, it's, it's easier because of... Uh, um, certain uh, situations in the original Greek. What am I trying to say here? We have this sacrament of baptism where we sprinkle or we effuse or we immerse um, immerse a child or an adult in the water, right? But that's a sign of something greater, right? Remember in our study of the Great Commission, uh, Make disciples of all people groups, what? Immersing them in the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Immersing them in the nature and character of God. The, the sign of baptism is just that, a sign pointing to a greater reality where a child of God is immersed in the community of faith. Not just this community of faith, the body of Christ in one particular location, but immersed in the very uh, uh, community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Get on with it, Dave. You're saying, what is that line that you haven't filled in yet? It's immersion in the Holy Spirit. And in this unique thing about, about the Greek language, the word there is actually, would be pronounced in... But it's E-N, would be the transliteration, can mean, most of the time it means I-N. Some of the times it's translated like here, with instead. It is both. We baptize with water, but we are immersing them in something much greater. Well, that was clear as mud, wasn't it? Let me say it again. What the sign of baptism points to is immersion in the very nature and character of God. In this case, Luke is saying especially immersion in 
That's why it's in bold in your notes. In the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that... Well, well the imagery that's coming to my mind is... I, I um, fill my uh, Keurig coffee pot with a little one-gallon jug of water. I keep up in my office. When that gets low, I will trundle down those long steps, pour me all the way down to the kitchen, and, uh, and I fill that, right? But imagine if I left the cap on that empty bottle of water, right? I could immerse that bottle in water, and what's going to happen? I can even push it way down, right? What's going to happen? Sooner or later, it's going to go pop and pop out of the water. And now imagine for a second that I opened my heart, that I opened the top of the bottle, and, and then it immersed it. It would want to float at first, but then little by little, as it was filled, right, it would Im- completely be immersed in it. Beloved, we have this great invitation to open our hearts and our minds to God's very presence in us through His Holy Spirit. You see why Jesus made them wait? And, 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 and we'll see in a couple of weeks. We're going we're to take a side journey next week, but in two weeks we'll see why He made them wait for this immersion. But don't miss what's going on. It's the very indwelling of God in you. It's you being filled with the presence of God because you immersed yourself in the nature and character of God. Wow. Wow. So, so why wait, right? You don't have everything you need yet. You don't have the immersion of the Holy Spirit yet. And God has a purpose in this wait. God has a purpose, beloved, for you waiting for the promise of the Father. But I want you to know here, before we move on, that that waiting, waiting is not an interruption of God's plan. Sometimes waiting is God's plan. Waiting is God's plan. I knew I was going to say this to you. So yesterday when I was driving, I pull up to a stoplight and go, this is God's plan. This is God's plan, right? Um, yeah, not, not so much whether I go through that light, but can I learn to wait upon God's Perfect timing. We'll explore that again in a couple of weeks. Sometimes waiting is not an interruption of God's plan. It is God's plan. So, so what does it look like to wait from Acts chapter 1? To wait in a way that makes you a participant in the wait. Right? Rather than a prisoner of it. What does it look like to wait in a way that makes you a participant, a partner with God in the wait rather than a prisoner. I think just there's so many different aspects of the scripture will lead you to them, but let me just think about a couple things that we can do in the midst of the wait, right? First of all, and I'm talking now about those deep waits, those times when you're living in unanswered prayer. Remind yourself that you are not alone. You are not alone. I say that in, in, in several different ways, right? First of all, you're a part of a vast company of people who also have been 
called to wait, right? A vast company. Reflect for just a second on the biblical story of Abraham, right? Uh, if you know that story, he was, he was promised that his children would become as, as, as many as the sands on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. But at, at 83 or excuse me, 87 years of age, he had no children. He had no children. And, and he, like many of us, was just trying to reconcile those things in his mind. We're not alone. Abraham went through this very experience. Israel itself, right, waited 420 years for deliverance from Egypt. And then the children of Israel had to wait another 40 because of the unbelief of their parents, had to wait another 40 before they could actually enter the land that God had promised them. God's people waited generation after generation for deliverance. But that was nothing, right? They, they waited generation after generation for the Messiah to come, right? And every year they would remind themselves, is Elijah at the door? No, he's not. The Messiah has not yet come, right? And for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus, like you and me, have waited, have waited for Jesus' return, Right? How many times have we said to ourselves and said to one another and thought in our heart of hearts, this has got to be it, right? This is, it cannot get any worse than this. And he still did not come. And we are still waiting, right? You are part of a vast company of people who are waiting, by called by God to wait. You are not alone. But, but let me just go one step beyond that and say you're part of a vast creation that has been called to wait. Did you hear that? Earlier in our worship, for the creation itself waits in for uh, an eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, right? Creation is waiting for that which we're waiting for. And it will not go forward until we receive what God has promised. The whole world groans as it awaits the final renewal of all that God has promised. And you're a part of a vast company, yes. You're a part of a vast creation that has been called to wait. But I want you to know this as well. That the Lord who called you to wait is with you in the wait. He hasn't gone off to do something else. I'm spending a lot of time these days at the... At the um, a doctor's office, you know, doing dermatology kinds of things. And I'll come in, they'll get me in on time, and I'll sit there, right? And, and the doctor is a friend of mine. Um, he goes off and is doing 15 other things, right? And I'm sitting there, very uncomfortable in my skivvies, you know, waiting for the doctor to come back. Have you ever noticed that they intentionally keep doctor's offices really cold? Have you noticed? Wow. Wow. God hasn't gone off to care about somebody else. It's not like if he's caring for Dennis tomorrow that he's not caring for Josie, right? Um, God is omnipresent. He's able to be with you in the midst of your waiting. Let me say that stronger. He is the Lord of waiting. He is the Lord of waiting. He's the liberal giver of all grace for those who wait, right? Your weight isn't outside of his plan, but it's a vital and necessary part of it. 
But He's with you in the midst of the wait. So remind yourself that you're not alone. But let God use the wait to strengthen your faith, right? Let God use the wait. In our, in our scripture from Romans 4, where Paul was speaking of Abraham, he said that God used the wait to strengthen Abraham's faith. You see, God isn't, isn't so much um, interested in your success. I even hate to use that word. Success in, in our world is very different than success in the kingdom of God. Amen? God isn't after your success. He's after you. He is after you. He wants you. So as you wait, tell yourself again and again and again if necessary. Waiting isn't about what I get at the end of the wait. It's about who I become as I wait. Again, in Romans 4, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is, was as good as dead. No unbelief, made, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. So as he waited, Abraham was strengthened in his faith. That's not what we would expect, is it? We tend to think that having been given the promise of God, a person might well begin to wait with vibrant faith, right? But as the wait drags on, it seems that that the faith would weaken as well. So why did Abraham's faith grow stronger and stronger? I want to suggest to you because of what he did as he waited. This is a terrible example, especially in light of recent circumstances, but I've confessed to you before that one of my favorite movies, it shows you a little bit about the depth of my nature and character, is um, Groundhog Day, right? Sorry, sorry, you were, you were hoping for something like Lord of the Rings or something with a little more depth to it. No, no, Groundhog Day. Why is that? Why am I so attracted to that? Because after a season, and Bill Murray's in hot water right now for half a dozen other things, but Bill Murray's character after a season of trying to end his life so he wouldn't have to wait anymore, so he wouldn't have to live each day over and over And over again, all of a sudden he decides one day, right, that he's going to use this time of waiting differently. Do you remember? He goes in and starts learning how to play piano, right? He starts noticing the trials of the people around him. I love the I love the guy when he catches for the umpteenth time falling from the tree and he says, You never say thanks to me, right? You never say thanks, right? He decided to use the weight different. Right. I want to suggest to you that 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 we can do the same, that we can use the weight differently, that we can actually have our faith strengthened by the weight rather than than weakened. Right. 
You can recognize that waiting is an opportunity to know others better. Forgive me again, in that movie, he takes the time now not to manipulate like he did at first, his love interest, the woman in the movie, right? But to get to know her, to really know her. You can use this waiting time as a season to get to know others better and, 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 and to see their heart, right? You can, you can um, take all the things you learn about someone and, and, and apply it to care for them, to love them in a deeper way. You can become a student of other people. Now, it's not a foreign concept. In, in, in Proverbs, we're, we're told that um, uh, that famous passage, raise up a child in the way that will go, right? And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. How did it work for you, right? Um, I think it's because of a mistranslation there, right? Raise up a child in his or her way. And when they are old, they will not depart from it, right? In other words, become a student of your child. Anyone who has multiple children knows that each one is absolutely unique, right? There is not... <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, I was five months late on one of my Christmas gifts to Jordan, right? It was a gift of socks, right? I was five months late. And, and, and so I got, I got a Christmas bag and stuck these socks in it and gave it to him a couple of days ago. But here's the problem. I bought him socks, right? But they're socks for like normal people. Jordan, this might be news to you, doesn't have feet. He has boats. He has boats. And so five months late, I give him a gift that probably will raise his blood pressure from putting them on, right? The sock. Um, Become a student of your children. Become a student of those around you. Study them. See who they are and love them in a way. Speak life to them in a way that they can receive, right? Take this opportunity of waiting to know others better. But you can also recognize that the waiting is an opportunity for you to know yourself better. As you wait, your heart is revealed. Witness my confession today, right? The struggles of your heart will be revealed and you will have this precious opportunity to become a student of yourself. What sins, what weaknesses... What struggles has God revealed in the wait? What blessings, what joys, what turns your crank, what passions has God revealed in the wait? Where in the wait has God exposed the lies that you have become a believer in? Where in your waiting has God exposed the idols, the false gods, right? The false gods that make waiting so difficult. You can uh, use this opportunity to know others better. You can use this opportunity to know yourself better, but you can feel this coming, can't you? But most importantly, you can use this opportunity of waiting to know God better. During his wait, Abraham, come on up, uh, worship team, if you would. During his wait, Abraham became a student of the character, look at this, 
You're expecting me to say nature, and that would be true. But the character and power of God. Why am I emphasizing that? Because so many of, of us have spent our time getting to know God in terms of theological concepts, but not in terms of personal transformation, right? We have been given this amazing source of transformational power, and we've never engaged it, right? Abraham became a student of that. That's what enabled him to wait. That's what enabled him, even after the wait, to risk offering his own children to the Lord, right? That's what gave him the the strength to wait. And the more Abraham saw God for who he was, the stronger his faith became. Note, note in Romans 4 that that Paul says he meditated on the glory of God. He meditated on the glory of God, not in the difficulty of the situation. So, um, it's going to sound very redundant, but, but you've been transformed since you heard these concepts before. It's going to sound redundant, but, but now you're aware that there is both um, the, the beauty of God's nature and character, but there's also the power of His Holy Spirit to enable your transformation. So how, what practical things can we do to get to know God better? We can engage in His Word. We can engage in His Word and we can develop a deeper sense of His character, His wisdom, His power, and His plan. Right? All those things are visible to us in God's Word. That's why we always harp on it. There's so many opportunities personally but then corporately for us to engage in God's Word. By saying engage, I mean don't just read it. I'm even going to say don't just study it for intellectual knowledge, right? But put yourself in the story. Beloved, let's put ourselves with those disciples in that first 40 days who who have been called by Jesus to wait on the coming of His Holy Spirit. Let's engage in the Word, right? But let's also cultivate a relationship with God through prayer, through talking with Him. I want to slip in our adjective here, extraordinary prayer. Let's take another step in our discipleship journey, another um, step toward intimacy with God by communing and communicating with God through prayer. I always want to emphasize, too, for us, I mean, it's not just engaging in His Word. It's not just learning to talk with Him through prayer. It's also surrender to Him. It's also that, that time when you say, you know what, I'm going to stop fooling myself. Um, I'm not just a churchgoer. I'm, I'm not just a seeker. I'm a person who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord and takes that step to say, I'm ready, God. I'm ready to surrender my life to you. Maybe, just maybe, you, those of you watching at home, some of you here in this room are at that place. I just invite you to pray with me. God, we have seen in your word that you have so much in store for those who love you, for those who are called according to your purpose. And we confess that we have heard that call and we have resisted that call. 
we are so afraid of what we will lose, God, that we completely miss out on what we would gain. So, God, whether a long time ago we prayed a prayer or whether you, through your Holy Spirit, have brought us to that point today, in this moment, we say to you, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive my sins, that you would become my Savior, that my life could reflect no longer my own desires, but your desires, you who created me and formed me and redeemed me and one day will resurrect me. So Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior today then I also profess. Jesus, I believe what our flowers say as we come in that door, that that you are risen, that God validated everything you are and did by raising you from the dead. I believe that you are alive today and able to provide for me everything you promised, even as I wait on you. So we love you, Jesus. We praise your precious name. And, and though it's difficult for us, though we can't see tomorrow, we trust that you hold all our tomorrows in your hand. And we commit to waiting for you in such a way that we'll get to know others better, that we'll get to know ourselves better, that we'll get to know you, God, in the deepest possible way. Ask all this in Christ's precious name. So if you are at that point where, where you know God is calling you to wait and you can't see yet ultimately what that waiting will be for, don't be discouraged. Right? God's not done with you yet. Amen? He's not done yet. But know this for certain, that the promise maker is also the promise Keeper. The promise maker is also the promise keeper. So wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. He is faithful. Amen. He will see it through to the end.